0: Lord, to see our sins. Help us to see our pride, our fears, our our worries, just our anger, whatever it may be, Lord. God, we're so good at justifying our sins. We're so good at justifying that saying, that's just the way we are. That's just how I am. Uh, This is the way I just go about life. God, help us repent of that. Help us repent of that and run empty-handed to the cross to rely upon your Son, Jesus Christ, who accomplished everything for us. Help us, Lord, to just dwell and rest upon your Son, Jesus Christ. God, be with all those churches meeting across the world in whatever capacity, whether on mountaintops and hills or underground or in homes, Lord, wherever it may be. God, we pray that you just encourage them as you encourage us to just trust in you. God, we are thankful that we are able to gather like this in your name freely. Lord, be with those two who are not here today, wherever they are. Because, God, you are merciful, and you are just full of grace. And all you give is more and more grace to those who have faith in your Son, Lord. Thank you for that. Bless our time now together. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as I say much, the gospel of grace, of God's grace, the gospel is good news. It is the news we need to hear every day because truly, though it's perplexing, it is also comforting and life-giving and life-freeing. For this news says that God has come to pursue sinners, sinners who were running away from Him, who wanted nothing to do with Him. Sinners who were just obsessed with self, obsessed with fulfilling their own desires at others' expense and vainly establishing their own self-worth that amounted to nothing but more slavery and bondage to sin. This good news says that God came running after spiritually dead people to give them true life. Why? Because he loved them. He loved sinners such as you and I. In fact, his love was so deep and so vast and so wide that he sent his son to do all that was and is required for us to be united to him. God looked upon us, those who were only and are only deserving of his eternal punishment of wrath, who had nothing to give to him, who could neither obtain anything to give to him, nor did we want to give anything to Him. Yet God, out of His unconditional love for us, sent His Son, Jesus, to live the life we could not live, a perfect and sinless life that fulfilled all of the law's demands that was upon us. He then died the death that we deserved. He took the eternal wrath that was upon our heads and died in our place as the sacrifice for our sins. He then came back to life to give what we could never earn. Because of his bodily resurrection, he gives us restoration with God, forgiveness of all of our past, present, and future sins. He gives us eternal life to be the children of God forever, to only experience his unconditional love and favor and blessings, to be declared righteous before him. He freely gives us this all by having faith in Christ alone, and that's it. And that message brings freedom into our lives. It is a message that says you are now truly free in Christ. You are free from the bondage of sin. You are free from this world's grasp upon you and your whole life. You are freed from being obsessed with self at the expense of the other and are now free to care for the other at the expense of self. Because you have everything you need now in Christ alone. Let me put it another way, so that you can see why this gospel is such great news and why it brings true rest and brings true freedom into our lives. See, through faith in Christ now, we have the promise that God is fully committed to us even when we're not fully committed to Him. God still stays with us and keeps His favor upon us and blesses us and loves us even when we doubt Him and His ways. Through faith in Christ alone, we have this promise that God will remain faithful to us even as we're unfaithful to Him. He still bends all of creation according to His will to work out only for our good in Him, even in the moments when you are not seeking the good. No matter what is brought against you, no matter how horrific and wretched your sin is, no matter how grievous your failure is, God faithfully uses it all to conform you to the image of his son because he has set his love upon you and that will never be broken. The gospel is good news for you and I through faith alone in Jesus. Or let me be more blunt. The gospel is so freeing because it it promises you and me that no matter how much you just can't seem to get, get it all together in your life with the people around you, That regardless of how much you fail to meet the standards of God's law and all that you do, despite your repeat offenses against Him, because of your sin, God will never bring accusation against you. He will never condemn you. He will only love you and give you more grace. So even with all your failed promises towards Him, He will never remove His promises of goodness towards you. With all your abandonment of him and his ways, he will never abandon you with his love and favor and blessing upon you. Rather, he just gives more and more of his blessing and more and more of his grace, grace upon grace towards you just because he loves you. Because Christ did everything for you to be the, a child of, the, uh, of God, his beloved through faith alone. That's it. The gospel is good news. Think about that. How freeing then is that for our life to just rest in Jesus for everything by faith alone? I mean, that's, 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 that's it. This gospel message says God's Loving relationship with you is not based upon you and what you do for him, but rather based upon what his son has done for you through faith in him. I mean, this may seem too good to be true. I mean, nothing in this world works that way, but this gospel is not from this world. This gospel is from God himself to us. It's God's message of love and grace to us to just trust in his son for everything by faith alone. It is a message that says, grow in being fully dependent upon Jesus for your everything by faith. For he has already done everything for you so he can be your everything. He is one. He has conquered the world and conquered your sin, just trust in Him. And the extraordinary thing is that as we rest then in Christ by faith for everything, you would think it would create this, well, I guess I just get the sin all the more attitude. But it doesn't. Grace doesn't produce such wretched things in our hearts. No, rather, as we dwell upon this gospel of grace, it generates a heart of gratitude towards God and His ways. And this gospel message brings change to our life in all that we are. Now, for some, it's it's a. Ma- there are some massive changes that may happen, but most of the time, these changes are very small, very tiny. But there's change nonetheless because God himself through faith in Jesus, through relying upon him alone, he is working that change in us as we look and rest to this gospel. For our hearts are now alive by faith and God is working the fruit of the Holy Spirit within our hearts, creating a sense of gratitude to want to follow after His ways, even though we may and will most likely fall flat on our faces and fail at doing it. There is still a desire of wanting to follow after His ways, nonetheless, not to earn anything from God. Not to get anything from God, but a wanting to follow because we have been given everything by God because we have Christ. For His love has set us free from sin's power over us. For we know the truth. We know and see His grace and love towards us. And that's what drives us. Not the law, but grace. There is power in this gospel message that changes us from the inside out all by looking to Jesus so we can live then as his free people in a world that's so oppressive. And Paul then has been going over what some of these freeing changes look like in our life in the book of Ephesians. He's been narrowing in on our relationships with each other. he have been really getting personal up in your business. And recently, he's been focusing on the marriage relationship. And today, we're going to, as our title says, cover a Christian husband, part two. Husbands, there's no part three. Sorry. You're like, oh, thanks. So our text today is Ephesians chapter five, verse 28 through 33. Now, as I said again, and I'll, as I said before, I'll say it again. Don't check out just because you're not a husband. There's much gospel truth here that will benefit you richly in the Lord in, in this passage, as you look at it, because all in, uh, in Scripture is inspired for reproof and correction. To equip us for every good work. Now, for context, Paul has just stated in verses 25 through 27, the part one of Christian husbands, the crushing command of the law that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. So they must love their wife unconditionally. And this love is to be self-sacrificing towards her. But also within those verses of 25 to 27, the key is that the husband can't do this on his own or in his power at all. So in his failure to live out such commands, he is to rely upon Christ's fulfillment of the commands in his place. By faith, he is to turn and run to the gospel, to Christ, to accomplish, to his accomplishments, to produce such a love within him towards his wife. Now, Paul does not leave it there, but takes us deeper and furthers his application of the love a husband is to have for his wife. He says in verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives. And what we have here is Paul reasserting again and building upon verse 25. But this time, he comes in really heavy-handed with this command to make sure there is no question as to what the husband's primary role in a marriage is. Where in verse 25, it was a commanding statement for husbands to love their wives, now by adding the word should, should love their wives, he means that husbands are obligated to do this before God. The word should means obligated duty. So it's the husband's duty to love his wife. So this means that even if a wife is not being willingly submissive to him, but rebellious or ignoring him, the husband's duty in the marriage is to love her anyway. That is his role, that is his calling, and that is his duty. And what Paul says next in verse 28 is really very prof- is a profound way of revealing what that love is to look like and be like. He says, as their own bodies. Now you might think, okay, simple enough. What's profound about that? Well, let me tell you what Paul is not saying to enlighten us, because it's easy to miss. Paul is not saying, husband, love your wife like your own body. Or, husband, love your wife just as you love your own body. No, Paul is saying something much deeper. To reveal how extraordinary and exhaustive this law of love is for the husband to have for his wife. He says, hey husband, love your wife as being your body. As your body. You heard that right. A husband is called not to love his wife like he loves his body, but as being his very own body. And this brings us to our first point. A Christian husband loves his wife as his body. So think of it this way. When you do things for other people, when you care for their needs in whatever context, no matter how selfless you are towards them, there's still a self-concern for your own body in whatever it is. We say things like, I got (laughs) to rest. I got to sit down. I got to eat. If you're a Baptist, I got to (laughs) eat. Okay, I love you, but I have to do X before I can continue on here. You know, there's this natural aspect of us where we have to take care of our own bodies, and we do. We're always watching out for ourselves. It's natural and it's required for us to flourish and function properly. And for Paul here, Paul says that is the love a husband is to have for his wife. That deep, natural reaction to our own bodies, that love is to be ingrained into the husband's minds and habits in relation to his wife to see her as his body, which he naturally takes care of and prioritizes as he lives upon this earth. And to drive in this importance of this fact in marriage, to express this really seriousness of what's being stated here. Paul then says at the end of verse 28, he who loves his wife loves himself. What Paul is saying here is that the husband, If you want to take care of yourself now, now that you're married, you are to take care of yourself by taking care of your wife. The focus is not about your personal body or personal fulfillment, but the extensive, holistic, exhaustive care you are to have for your wife as your body now. So your attitude and relationship to her is not this, well, if I can live without it, so can she. If I went all my life without it, and I survived, so can she. That is loving her like your body, not as your body. For even without those things... You still have prioritized your body to make sure that you are well off and able to flourish in whatever or wherever you go. So the call is to make sure you value your, wife's, your wife as your body so she will always flourish and be well off in whatever or wherever she goes and whatever she does because you are taking care of her needs as your own body the idea is she can't live out without she can't live without x therefore nor can i that's the mindset for she is your body it's not about you but her for she is your body she is the you it's all about her now Paul is saying this is the natural way of of interaction that a husband is called in relation to his wife. Now, some of you are looking at your pocketbooks going, dang. You might, who who can live like that? How can you live like that? She's giving it all away. Well, here's the thing Paul doesn't let up. For the law of love is meant to break us of any self sufficiency before God. And currently, he is doing that with husbands so he can see they don't have a handle on their marriage. They don't have a handle in their own power and how to love their wife. So, Paul goes deeper and deeper and gets more personal and becomes very descriptive on how this love is to be expressed to a wife. He states in verse 29, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. And Paul here makes a general statement that all healthy-minded people don't hate their own bodies, but they love their own bodies. And that, I mean, like, well, I don't like my body. No, no, no. You love your body. You love your own body by nourishing it and cherishing it. And that's what Paul is drawing focus on in regards to husbands loving their wives. It's these two words, nourishing and cherishing, that drive in the point of how a husband is called to love his wife. For both words bring out an important aspect to how a husband's love is to come from him. Their love is to be full of tender affection towards their wife. And this brings us to our second point. A Christian husband has a tender, caring love for his wife. This That means husbands are to care for not only their wife's physical needs, but their mental needs, their emotional needs. There is no, well, I just don't get her, I don't understand her, That's just the way it is. She needs to move on. I can't can't deal with this all the time. No, husbands are to nourish and cherish their wives tenderly so that the wife can remain in a healthy mindset, in a healthy heart set and soul set. They are to compassionately and gently help their wives become comfortable in whatever context of life. Or to put it bluntly, Just as a person does whatever it takes to care for their own bodies, to fulfill its needs and desires so that it can flourish and be comfortable even with all the body's imperfections and pains and failures, so too is the husband to lovingly invest his life for his wife so that she can flourish mentally, physically, and emotionally so she can live comfortably because she is his body. And just to make sure there's no thought of self-sufficiency in the husband and thinking he can fulfill this for his wife on his own or to keep him from, or really, to keep him from any loopholes in trying to not live this way towards his wife. Paul says at the end of verse 29, Husbands, love your wife as your own body, just as Christ does the church. Paul says to husbands, there's your full example of how deep and nourishing and cherishing your love is to be. Do it perfectly like Jesus does with his church. Now that is meant to reveal how insufficient and how incapable the husband is on his own for doing any of that. It's meant to break you and crush you. But just as Paul has revealed before in verses 25-27, through what God demands from us, He also provides for us. And God has provided Jesus to accomplish this very law of husbands to love their wives as their bodies. He has sent Jesus to provide them, them with the power to live this way towards their wives, for He has already fulfilled this for them before God, perfectly through faith in him. Which is why he says in verse 30, for we are members of his body. See here, Paul is saying to the husband, and in principle to all of us, for Paul includes himself in this by saying we, he says that we are all to look to Christ by faith for our everything, for all that we are, and rely upon him for everything. For Christ has fulfilled all Of this, that he has just stated, for the husband, by his own work for the husband. For Christ has fulfilled everything for for all of us. He has kept all the laws for us. And because of that, through relying upon him by faith, Christ then empowers us to a life that will be pleasing to him, that will follow after his ways and live according to his standards, all by his power and his grace alone. For Jesus is the one who is nurturing and cherishing us to do so. He is the one who is supplying us warmly with his love and is tenderly giving us more and more of his grace and more of his power so that we will be able to flourish in this world as his free people to live comfortably in his grace in a world that's full of death and gloom. He is constantly caring for us, constantly providing for us all through faith, despite all of our imperfections before him, despite all of our inconsistencies before him and failures and our sins before him. Christ just gives more and more of his grace and reveals more and more of his love to us as we go to him by faith. He then reminds us that all is well now between us and him because of what he has done for us and not because of what we've done for Him. We are now under the full, wholehearted care of our Creator so we can be confident and at peace and live with hope in knowing that His blessed hand is upon us to comfort us in whatever we're facing and to empower us to live out His will in our lives, even amongst our fumbles and sins. For we have been declared righteous now by faith in Christ. The gospel's good news. For His grace is greater than all of our sin. For we are His body who He is consistently taking care of. Even when we don't see it in the moment, we can know it because of the truth of the gospel. For the cross of Christ has established this promise and these promises forever towards us by faith in Him alone. He loves us. Unconditionally. For He has and will provide all we need in this life. And we receive it simply and justly all by faith alone in Him and that's it. For we are saved and we are blessed and we are empowered continually all by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, leaving everything else alone we are his body and paul says in verse 31 he quotes from genesis chapter 2 verse 24 he states therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh and you would think ha, simple enough it's easy to understand that when a biological male and a biological female come together in marriage, this is when the two become one flesh. This is what God has established at the creation of mankind for all mankind. So what this means then, right, is that the ties of the mother and father of fully caring and having full authority and responsibility over the bride and groom, it's released at marriage. Simple enough, right? The bride and groom, become glued together. The priority now for the husband and his wife in life is now to each other. The words hold fast means that this bond that is fastened between a husband and a wife is one that supersedes all other relationships in this world, even that of their children that are born to them. Because what? The the child leaves, but the husband and wife are glued together. For they are one flesh, In this beautiful relationship of the husband giving his whole life to his wife through unconditional, sacrificial, caring love towards her to provide for all of her needs above his own and for her to willingly to submit to his leadership over her whole life with him for they are now one flesh. Paul could have just left it there, but he didn't. For the marriage of a biological male and a biological female and becoming one flesh has a meaningful purpose. That was established way back in Genesis. It represents something significant. Paul states what that is in verse 32. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Huh? This brings us to our last point of of a Christian husband. He and his wife represent the gospel. Huh? What? Paul says that what he quoted from Genesis, in its very real context, it refers to the real marriage of Adam and Eve, those historical real people that God first created, first man and woman on earth. Yet, that text, ultimately, which defines marriage and what it is, points to something greater, the union of Christ and the church. Paul here is saying that marriage is a picture of Christ's union with his church, his bride. That this, that is the mystery that he, Paul, is revealing to us. That marriage, that oneness between a husband and a wife, points to the gospel of Jesus Christ in some sense. By us uniting with Him by becoming His body and He our head all through faith in Him. This is the mystery that Paul is speaking of that marriage points to. It points to the Christ's sacrificial love his church to gather rebellious people to be his own, and he to be fully committed to them, uniting himself to them fully and unconditionally through faith in him alone, to provide all they need, and to just give and give his love and grace and blessings, and just to give himself over. Even though they are imperfect and inconsistent and still sin all while on this earth, he gave himself up so that to a completely undeserving people such as you and I, so that we could be with him forever as his body that he is now taking care of fully. That is the mystery that is being revealed. Christ's union with his bride, his church. So it's not marriage in itself that's the mystery, but what it points to. Marriage is a gospel issue. It points to this amazing mystery of us being united to Jesus by faith alone and his sacrificial love for his body. Side note, by the way, This just reveals even more how all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation all points to Jesus and His gospel of grace ultimately. It's all about Him, not you, Him. What He did for you. So Paul then quickly comes back to to state that because this is true over us now by faith, there are now consequences for such a truth that will come about us by faith. And Paul goes back to narrow in on the practical application of such wonders in marriage for the husband and wife. And he says in Ephesians 5.33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. What you have then is this. Paul is saying in summary to husbands and wives, don't rely upon yourself to fulfill your calling to each other. Don't look within yourself. Look to Jesus. And don't make it your duty to enforce the other, to follow after their calling. Don't go after each other. Rather, you are just to be concerned with your own calling between you and Jesus by relying upon Him through faith to empower you to fulfill your role in marriage and your partner. Just point to Jesus. Keep your eyes of faith upon Jesus to work His doings within you that you will fail to do on your own, but with Him, He will work His accomplishments through you. And really, that's something for us all. For all of us are to be concerned in our own callings in the Lord in whatever context we're in. So I ask... Are you looking to Christ and relying upon him to empower you to do the very things he has called you to do and live out in this world? Do you see yourself as his body then and rely upon him, rely upon his nourishment to empower you to live to what he has called you to do? Do you see His cherishment of you as your true security and your true comfort and your true hope in this world? Or are you trying to do everything in your own strength, according to your own ways, according to your own wittiness and traditions? Trying to make much of yourself in this world before others. Exhausting yourself so that you can get respect and attention and love that you think that really is going to fulfill you. It won't. It won't give you the meaning you're looking for and it won't give you the purpose or significance that you're striving after. Only Christ will by resting in Him. Give up. See, from looking at this text, Paul is saying to husband and wives and ultimately to all of us that all of that, whatever you're looking for, is found in Jesus by faith alone. He provides all the rescue. He provides all the security. He provides all the strength. He provides all the respect. He provides all the attention. He provides all of the love we need to cope in this world with whatever we're, whatever's going on in our life. You're going to find it in Him on your own. So, And because of that, we can stop then focusing on getting and obtaining. And, and rather, we can just look to Jesus by faith. Because we're free. We are freed to just focus on truly then looking out for the good of everyone. Above ourselves. Looking out for their needs above our own. Looking to serve others before we serve ourselves. Why? Because everything we need, we have an endless supply of in Christ through faith in Him. For we are His body, whom He nourishes and cherishes despite our failures and inconsistencies before Him. The gospel's good news, and that's what we rest in. For we are truly free in Him. Whether we win or whether we lose, we're free. He's going to love us no matter what. We are freeing Him then to just give and give and serve and serve even if we fail majorly before Him for His love and grace is never ending over us. The Gospel is good news for truly it's finished in Christ. He has done everything we need in this world. Amen. I invite you then today if you have not made a decision to follow after Christ look to Him, cry out to Him because He has done everything And he's the only one that could ever fulfill anything you're looking for. And he's the only one that can provide for you. And those of you who have been struggling maybe in your marriage or struggling in your relationships or maybe just struggling within life itself, stop looking everywhere else and just look to Jesus. Trust him. He'll get you through it. Even if you can't see it, you can know the truth that he's working everything out for your good. Even if that means you get crushed in the process, you are being conformed to the image of His Son. So let us go to the Lord in prayer. If you like to pray with a deacon, they'll be up here. If you like to pray up here or when, wherever you're at, I invite you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you have done. You are so good. We have your message, Lord. Remind us of your message of grace. Remind us, Lord, that the law has been fulfilled by your Son, Jesus. That we cannot do it on our own. Lord, we're just broken people, but that's the people you love. Broken people who acknowledge it. We're not strong. Help us realize that, Lord. Help us realize we are not a strong people, but you are strong for us. Help us give up on relying upon anything else but you. God, you are so good. Thank you for forgiving our sins and loving us despite of them. We pray this in your son.